0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Katie. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from the series, Jonah, God's Mission in the World. Here's Pastor Nick.
1: Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Last week, we began a new series in the book of Jonah, in which we are talking about Jonah. We're calling it Jonah, God's Mission in the World, and that's what we're talking about as we go through this series. While you're turning to the book of Jonah, by the way, if you're looking for it, it's in the Old Testament, and if you're not exactly sure exactly where, no worries. Just look in the front of your Bible. You've got a table of contents. Look up that page number. If you read the Bible on your phone, you can just search Jonah. In the Old Testament, you just scroll through till you find that thing. If we like to go through the Bible verse by verse, that's how we study it. We believe that God speaks to us in that way as we study his word. As I said, we've been in a series just starting last week uh, called Jonah, God's Mission in This World. I think that a lot of people are familiar with the story of Jonah. I mean, everybody's heard of the guy who got swallowed by the big fish, but I think that a lot of people at the same time, they don't understand why this book is so important in the Bible and why it's so important for our lives today. You know, really, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, the book of Jonah is one of the very best places in the Bible to go to find that out. So this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter two, and there's a very important message in here for us that we don't want to miss. So let's go ahead and read this chapter, We'll read the text, and then we'll pray and get into our study. Begin on the last verse of chapter one. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, in the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning, we come with expectant hearts, Lord, desiring to hear from you and expecting to hear from you as we study this chapter. Lord, would you help us to see why this chapter is important in this story? Would you help us to see why it's important in our lives? And Lord, would you speak to us through these words that are inspired by you? So, Lord, we ask that you would do those things and let it bear much fruit in our lives. Let us see Jesus and understand the gospel in a greater way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have ever almost died? I mean, you don't actually have to raise your hand. It's kind of a rhetorical question. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever actually almost died or had a brush with death? Maybe it was a car accident you survived or maybe a medical issue that almost took your life. Maybe it was something else. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan was the victim of of an assassination attempt, which almost took his life. He was shot in the chest on the left side, and the bullet came within inches of his heart. It shattered one of his ribs, it punctured his lung, and it caused severe internal bleeding. He was taken immediately to a hospital where he was treated, but even in the hospital, he developed an infection in the wound, and that almost ended up killing him, even if the bullet hadn't killed him. But he did survive. And later on, President Reagan went on to speak about this close call that he had had, this brush with death. And here's what he said He said, I have a sense that I was spared for a purpose and that all my time after that belongs to God. I'm going to say that again because it ties into what we're talking about today. He said, I have a sense that I was spared for a purpose and that all my time after that belongs to God. That same sentiment, by the way, is shared by many people who experience near-death experiences uh, and survive them. They say, you know, my life was hanging in the balance. It could have gone either way. I could have died, but for some reason, God chose to spare me. There, there must be a reason for that. God must have a purpose with my life if he kept me around when I could have died. Now here in the book of Jonah, we're picking up the story where Jonah has just had a brush with death, a near-death experience. He almost died came very close. Let me just catch you up to speed for those of you who weren't with us last week. Jonah had been called to do something by God that he didn't want to do. God had called him to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and God called him to preach to them a message of repentance, which carried with it an implication of God's mercy and grace. But Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want to do that. You see, Assyria was a ruthless and violent and imperialistic nation, which posed a clear and present threat to the very existence of Jonah's country, which is Israel. I mean, they threatened the very existence of Israel. And they they were a brutal country. We talked about some of the things that they they would do, just terrible, inhumane things that they did to people on a regular basis. What's interesting is that the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh can still be visited today. You know where they are? They're in the present-day city of Mosul, Iraq. If you've heard the name of Mosul, Iraq, you've probably heard it because until very recently, that was the largest city which was under control by ISIS. And so it's very interesting, actually, that parallel there, because ISIS is probably the best parallel that we have in our modern day to understanding what Nineveh was like, especially to a person like Jonah. I mean, just try to put yourself in his shoes for a second. Imagine if God called you to put on your Bruce Springsteen born in the USA t-shirt and your your white American sneakers and or make America great again hat and go over to Mosul, Iraq and, uh, you know, round up all the ISIS leaders and say, hey, guys, I'm just here to let you know Jesus loves you, but unless you repent of your sins and believe in Him, you're going to hell. There's a reason why a lot of people don't do that. Actually, there's probably a couple reasons. So, the obvious reason is you would last about five seconds after you did that, like they would definitely kill you. But the second reason is this I mean, who of us wants to leave our comfortable home here in America with our smart TV and our Wi Fi and our air conditioning? Who wants to leave their peaceful, pleasant life to go over to Iraq? And, and risk your neck for the sake of some terrorists who, who are just horrible people, I mean, who attack and kill children and innocent women and, and who hate your guts. Who would want to give up all this to go over there and do that? No thanks. I mean, most of us would rather do anything but do that. And that's exactly how Jonah felt. So before we start getting too down on Jonah, we really have to put ourselves in his shoes and say, okay, if God called me to go and, uh, and preach to ISIS, what would I do? How would I react? See, there's a sense in which Jonah said, I'd rather not offer them the grace of God because here's the thing, if God judges them, well, good, they deserve it. I'd love to see God wipe those guys out. And so Jonah ran away. He ran away from what God was calling him to do. In fact, it says that he ran away from the face of God. And so he gets on this boat, and he's heading in the exact opposite direction. You know, he's in Israel, God's calling him to go to Iraq, and he gets on a boat going to Tarshish, which is in Spain. That's literally, like, the furthest possible place that you could go physically from where God was calling him to go. And so here's what happens. As Jonah's running away, God is pursuing him. God's coming after him. And by the way, that's one of the great themes of this book, is that God pursues people, People, even though they turn their backs on God, even though people run away from God, God pursues people. And in this book, that's what we see. God is pursuing the Ninevites, even though the Ninevites aren't looking for him. God is pursuing Jonah, even though Jonah is running from him and turning his back on him. We see this very important principle. God pursues people because God loves people. Last week, we saw that God, the way that he pursued Jonah, was by sending a great storm into his life, a literal storm into his life. And Jonah was thrown overboard from the ship that he was riding on. He was cast into the open sea in the middle of a great storm. And Jonah was sure that this was the end of his life. No question was he sure that he was going to die. He doesn't have a life preserver. He doesn't even have those floaty arm things that you blow up and and you can kind of float a little bit. But even if he did, it wouldn't have helped. I mean, this is a great storm in the middle of the open sea. Even if he's the best swimmer in the world, there's no way that he can survive this. I don't know if Jonah even tried to swim or if he just kind of gave himself up and said, this is my fate, I'm going to die, this is the end. Either way, the last thing that Jonah remembered, he tells about it here in this prayer in chapter two, was himself sinking deeper and deeper in the water, the light fading away, and darkness. That's the last thing he remembers. All hope is lost. And then, in a surprising turn of events, everything changed in a moment. Jonah's life was saved. He was rescued in the most unexpected and incredible way. He was swallowed by a great fish. Now, let me just say this. It's not, this is not completely unheard of, by the way. In fact, there's even a documented case of a man named James Bartley, who in 1891 was working on a whaling ship, fell into the sea, and was found several days later unconscious but alive inside of a sperm whale. Now, whatever kind of creature this was, the text tells us that it was sent by God to save Jonah's life. That's what we know. So here's Jonah. He's just had a near-death experience. He thought he was going to die. He was sure that he was going to die. But in a crazy, miraculous turn of events, God spared his life. And so here in Jonah chapter 2, in the book of Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah's reaction to all that has happened. And his reaction is... He prays. He thanks God for saving his life. He quotes from the Psalms. And yet, it seems like a really nice chapter. It seems like Jonah's just praying, getting right with God. But yet, there's something that doesn't sit right. There's something that doesn't sit right in this whole scene. And actually, that is the point of the whole chapter. If you really want to understand this chapter, you need to understand that this prayer, as good as it sounds, there's something that's not right about it.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Katie of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: See, while Jonah is happy and while he's thankful that God has saved him, the irony of this situation is completely lost on him. That's the point of the chapter. We're going to talk about that, and I'll explain to you what that means and the very important thing that it means for you and me today. The title of today's message is Rescued for a Reason. Rescued for a Reason. And there are three things that we're going to see in this chapter. So let me tell you what those are, and then we'll go through them. Number one, we're going to talk about the summary verse for the entire Bible, the summary verse for the entire Bible. Secondly, the key to understanding Jonah. And thirdly, the reason for your rescue. Okay, so let's begin by looking at the summary verse for the entire Bible. If someone were to ask you, what is the Bible about? What would you say? What would you say if someone asked you, well, well, I've never read the Bible, I'm not really sure, but could you summarize for me? What is the Bible about? Well, Bible scholars over and over repeatedly when they've sought to answer that question, they have come here to Jonah chapter 2 to answer that question. And they go to Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, and they say, this is the key verse of the entire Bible. If you want to know what the Bible is all about, this, this verse will tell you. It's all summed up in one phrase right here. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible is all about. Now, first of all, there's two things in there that we must see. First of all, it tells us this. You need salvation. You need salvation. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And secondly, it tells us this. The salvation that you need comes only from the Lord. It's not something you can get on your own. It's not something that you can get from anyone else or anything else. If you need to be saved, which you do, the salvation that you need comes only from the Lord and from him alone. This is what Jesus' life and ministry were all about, this phrase, salvation is of the Lord. This is what the book of Jonah is all about. In fact, this is what the whole Bible is all about. Salvation comes from the Lord. This message, by the way, is what makes Christianity absolutely unique amongst all the religions of the world, amongst all the philosophies and ways of thinking in the world. This is what makes Christianity absolutely unique and completely different. Let me explain it to you this way. You You could put it like this there are three kinds of people in the world. There are the religious, there are the irreligious, and then there are Christians. In other words, Christians are something completely different, something off the grid, something that doesn't fit in the general way that people think of religion and irreligion because Christianity is something different than religion or irreligion. See, most people tend to think only in terms of Religion and non-religion. So I, like, I, I meet a lot of people, and when they find out that I'm a pastor, they often want to tell me, oh, you know, hey, I'm not religious. And I say, well, hey, hey, I'm not religious either, but you know what? I'm also not, not religious. I'm something completely different. What I believe and what I am is something that doesn't fit in your grid. And you know why? It's because people tend to think that everybody kind of fits along a spectrum, so a continuum. On the one hand, you have the extremes. So you have the people who are very religious, and you have the people who are very not religious. And everybody else fits in there somewhere in between, between very religious and very not religious. Maybe they're a little bit religious or a little bit not religious. See, what's the difference between those two? Irreligious people believe that they don't need salvation. So irreligious people say, I don't need salvation. Because I'm a good, decent person. Like maybe there's some meth addicts out there or some people robbing gas stations and they might need salvation, but I don't think I need to be saved from anything. You might remember in this last election cycle, I mean, that was one of the things, one of the politicians in the cycle was interviewed and he said, I've never asked for forgiveness for my sins because I don't think I need to. I don't think I have anything to be forgiven of. That's an irreligious person. That's a person who says, I don't need salvation. What do I need that for? I'm a good person. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a bad person. So I don't need to be saved from anything. On the other hand, you have religious people, right? So religious people admit the fact that they need salvation. The only thing is that they believe that salvation depends on them and what they do in order to get it. So if they're good and they follow the rules and the tenets and they do all the rituals, then maybe God will notice it and see it and he will bless them and help them and ultimately save them. So irreligious people believe that they don't need salvation. Religious people believe that salvation depends on them, and it's something that they have to earn. But the Bible says, no, neither of those are correct. Instead, here's the deal. Salvation comes from the Lord. You need to be saved? Absolutely. But the salvation you need comes from God and from God alone. He's the only one who can save you. You can't save yourself. You could never earn it. You could never merit it. No matter how hard you try, the only way you'll ever get it is if he gives it to you as a gift. That's why the Bible says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace, what is it? It can be defined in this way. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. So God gives us grace and the way that we receive it is by faith, by believing in and clinging to and relying on Jesus, who he is and what he has done for you. And Jonah, he has this realization here in the fish that God has spared him and saved him and it wasn't because he deserved it. Quite the contrary. He did not deserve it. This was purely grace. This was an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And Jonah realizes, God spared me. I didn't deserve it. He must have done it only because he loves me. You see, a lot of us are like Jonah. That's why thinking in terms only of religious and irreligious, it isn't enough. You see, thinking in terms only of irreligious and and religious, it's not enough, because here's what we see with Jonah. Is he religious or irreligious? He's absolutely religious. He's a prophet. He works for the church. He's a religious guy, and yet he's far from God. You see, that's the thing. He's religious, and yet he's far from God in his heart. And on the other hand, we have the Ninevites, and they're pagans, and they do bad stuff. And yet, as we're gonna see, God speaks to the Ninevites, and they obey immediately. They respond immediately. So who's the good guy in the story, the the religious person or the pagan? Outwardly, Jonah is moral. He's a religious guy. He's morally upstanding. On the other hand, you've got the Ninevites who are brutal, they're inhumane, and they're immoral. And yet, although Jonah looks better on the outside, in his heart, he's far from God. And here's the point, whether you are a moral person or an immoral person, whether you are a religious person or a non-religious person, We all need the same thing. We all need salvation, a salvation that can only be received from God as a gift of his grace, and it's only received by faith, by trusting in and clinging to and relying on Jesus and what he did for you. Here's the thing that happens when you understand the grace of God to you. When it really sinks in that God loves you, and that he's given you this undeserved gift as an unobligated giver, that God has saved you, not because of anything that you've done, but only because he loves you. When you really understand God's grace for you, you know what it does? It transforms you. It changes you. Here in the book of Jonah, what we're seeing is we're seeing Jonah being taken on this journey led by God. He's being taken on a journey of understanding and realizing and seeing what God's grace is all about. You see, he's always been a religious guy. He probably grew up being religious, but he hasn't always understood the grace of God. And as the story progresses, Jonah is going to get a progressively deeper and more comprehensive understanding of what God's grace is all about each step of the way. Because think about how this story begins. God tells Jonah that he is going to offer grace to the Ninevites. If the Ninevites will repent of their wickedness and they will turn to him, God will offer them grace. And Jonah says, no, I don't want them to receive grace. They don't deserve it. You see now, but isn't that actually the point? Of course they don't deserve it. No one deserves grace. That's the whole point of grace. No one deserves grace. Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. But Jonah's not quite there yet. He doesn't quite understand it yet. And so the first thing that Jonah needs to learn is that he is a recipient of grace, that he needs grace. He needs salvation. He desperately needs it, and that he doesn't deserve it at all. And yet salvation comes from the Lord as an act of grace. That's the first step, is understanding that even though he's a moral person, even though he's a religious person, he's in desperate need of the grace of God. He's in desperate need of conversion and salvation because despite all of his outward goodness, his heart is far from God. You know, I was talking with some people this week and just saying that I think as a, as a Christian community, we've done a bit of a disservice to people in that we, we portray it as if, you know, the only people who need Jesus are the people who like live in trash cans and shoot drugs into their eyeballs and kill the president. Like those are the people who need to be saved and born again. But you know what, if you look at the Bible, I mean, what is this story telling us? The religious person is far from God. He needs to be converted. He needs to understand grace. He needs to receive salvation. In fact, that, that, that message is carried on throughout the whole Bible. And so when we hold up these testimonies of people whose lives are radically changed, that's great, but we can't do it to the detriment of saying, no matter who you are, a good person, upstanding person, even religious person, even very moral person, that's not what saves you. Jesus saves you and everyone needs salvation and salvation comes only from the Lord as an act of his grace. You see, it's only when you understand the depth of your sin that you will be amazed and thrilled by the grace of God. Let me say that again. It's only when you understand the depth of your sin that you will be amazed and thrilled and electrified by the grace of God. You see, for Jonah, like for many people, his sin wasn't outward. It wasn't obvious. It was in his heart. It was invisible to the naked eye, and yet it took a situation like this to really bring to the surface what was going on underneath the surface, and now Jonah sees it, and he's amazed, and he's thrilled by the grace of God towards him, a sinner, an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. You know, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says something really interesting. In Colossians chapter six, uh, chapter one, verse six, he says this. He says, the gospel has gone forth and the gospel has brought his born fruit in you since the very first day that you understood the grace of God in all its truth. So he says, the gospel has gone forth in the world, and it has borne fruit in you ever since the day you first understood the grace of God in all its truth. What Paul's talking about is transformation, spiritual transformation, life transformation. He's talking about growth, and what he says is the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for you to save you, the gospel Has been bearing fruit in your lives ever since when? Ever since the day you understood the grace of God in all its truth. What's he saying? What he's saying is this the thing which causes us to grow and to be transformed is an understanding of the grace of God. If you want to grow, if you want to be transformed, here's what you need you need a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge, and and grasp of God's grace. See, because here's what happens when you understand the grace of God, when it really takes a hold of your heart, when you see who Jesus is and what he's done for you and the love of God that that communicates and represents, and it overwhelms you. It electrifies you. The fact that God loves you that much, even in spite of your sins and flaws and imperfections and shortcomings. And understanding that, seeing that, that is what transforms your heart. It changes your heart and it changes your motivations. It motivates you to seek him and to serve him and to change things in your life, not out of duty or obligation or because somebody told you that you have to, but because you got a glimpse of something so beautiful. You got a glimpse of the severity of your situation apart from God and the magnitude of his love and grace for you and it melts your heart and it changes you and transforms you and changes the way you think and the way you live. Jonah is in the middle of that process. I like to put it this way. I, I think that a lot of people tend to think of the gospel as kind of like the ABCs. The ABCs of Christianity that's the beginner stuff, it's how you get started.